All right, welcome back, everyone. It's been kind of a hot minute since our last uh, comic book forte, but Sean and I are back. As always, we're going through the top 100 comics from Jerry Weiss's book. Uh, last off, a little recap. We ended with uh, Batman the Dark Knight Returns. Yes. I feel like super solid jumping off point. Um, but yeah, any before we get into it, any news? I kind of want to do like a... A quick news update <laughs> in the beginning, so that way it's not just so dense on... No news, yeah, but we can we can get some idle chit-chat going. What was... um? You did say you watched a couple comic book movies last night. I wanted to I hear... I did. And so we, I, was, I wrapped up Avengers 2, Age of Ultron. Uh, um, I watched it because I, I was like about halfway through, and I watched the other half last night. How'd you... First time viewing? Or? No, 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 no. Okay. Oh, yeah. No, I've seen that one a lot i actually really like that one i think kind of gets a bum rap um, i totally agree and i, I have fun that was actually one of the first movies that i started to go see the marvel movies by myself at the theaters yeah like i i've only done it with like a few of them but i actually kind of liked the experience a little bit better it was one of those days i just like got home from the dentist and it was like 11 and like all my deadbeat friends were still asleep so then i wanted and i really wanted to see the movie it had been out for like a weekend already and so I just went by myself. I totally fuck with going to the movies by yourself. People think it's weird, yeah. and that blows my mind. We're not talking at the movies. I don't need someone <laughs> just there in spirit for me as I watch a movie. I do really. I've gone to see a bunch of movies. When I used to work in retail, my day off would be like a Wednesday, and everyone was working. So I'd just be like, all right, well, fuck it. I'm going to go thrift and then go see a movie by myself and, like, just relax. Yeah, I'll be honest. I kind of used to dog people on it. I'm like, that's kind of weird, but I totally get it now. It, it made, <laughs> once you do it one time, you're like, oh, you know what? This is actually a lot better because I feel like you're doing any waiting that you would do at a theater that you're like, let's just get in there. That's all cut out. You're just on your own time frame of, like, listen, if I want to get there 30 minutes before and yeah. do all the fucking quizzes, I'll do them. I'll, I'll figure out it's Tom Hanks. I'll figure out the cutout shape person. Yeah. Um, but I'm also excited that I watched that one because Age of Ultron obviously has Ultron and it also has Vision. So I just picked up a Marvel uh, Epic collection, those collections okay. I've and showed you. Um, they're beautiful books. They're usually around 400 pages. Those are, like, are those the hardback ones? No, they're they're soft. Okay. Yeah, th these are the ones that are full color. They're the full colors because yeah. the essentials are the black and white yeah, ones that are that, hot. Got to go for yeah. You got to go for the epic. Those those are the way to go. And they're all chronological too. So like, I have a Doctor Strange one, and that one did like it did Doctor Strange books, but then it went right into like, uh, whoa, what did he do? Uh, Tales to it, no, they were um, yeah, I think there were Tales. Tales to, to astonish. astonish. Yeah, and like and then like back into like when he got a new cover in '74. Okay. So it just kind of goes chronologically it does, through yeah. the actual character. So I picked up timeline. an Avengers epic collection, and it's like volume three, and it has Ultron, it has a vision in it. So oh, I'm excited so you're getting... to read those, you know. And there's also some great people that worked on those books. Gene Colan, one of my favorite artists, and um, Sal Buscema and John Buscema. Well, I also think, too, especially with that movie, well, one, you're getting a lot of things because we're getting WandaVision coming out soon. Yeah. So then you get, I know there's a super famous. Not super famous, but super well enjoyed run of Vision that was not too long ago. That kind of has the same WandaVision vibe, but I don't think Wanda is necessarily in it. Okay, but also, I feel like in the Marvel universe, uh, Ultron's not necessarily gone. Right. His, Ultron's biggest thing is like, bitch, I live in the computer. Yeah. Are there computers? <laughs> I'm still here. 
Then I feel like James Spader, it's not going to take a bunch for him. He's not doing the mocap on it. Right. He's just doing voicing. And it's basically just, hey, James, talk how you normally talk, which is just like <laughs> semi-creepy and intimidating. He's always. great in that. But I also watched Ragnarok again. Keep in mind, I've seen all the Marvel movies at yeah. least twice each. I don't well, think, there's not one that I've seen less than one I time. could watch Ragnarok on repeat. I yeah, think. I threw it on. And you know what I've come to realize about that movie? My favorite part. Of, I have a lot of favorite parts about it. My all-time favorite part about it uh, is the music. Shout out Mark Mothersbaugh. Okay. Kent State alumni. Ooh, there you go. Golden flashes, baby. <laughs> we out here. But the music's great. You know that for those guys who don't know Mark Mothersbaugh, he was the guy from Devo. Um, oh yeah, but yeah, he's yeah. done a lot of music ever since that band. I mean, that band's been broken up for thirty is, years. He's a big. <laughs> he's a big like movie composer now, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, and like uh, Rugrats theme song, things okay. like that. Um, he's terrific, and so the music's amazing. And um, and then we were also talking the other day about in Ragnarok how the callback to. Um, the old school Thor with the umbrella being the oh, hammer. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah, I love that they kind of throw the Donald, was it Donald Pierce? I think I always forget. That's how lame his alter ego was. Well, they never use, Thor's alter ego is the stupidest one yeah, of all they time. they eventually just stopped doing it. It's the same way as Wonder Woman where you're like, dude, your face, we don't even cover it. <laughs> we can only have one unbelievable person doing it, and it's Superman. Exactly. But then my third and final comic book movie I watched was Chasing Amy. Which, which I do throw in. <laughs> one, Kevin Smith directed. Yeah. So already anything that Kevin touches, I feel like, yeah. kind of gets a, a comic booky little vibe to it. It does. And I was telling Pat before we started the show, I mostly just watched it. I need that little 90s dose of nostalgia, you know, because it's just... It's, it's all there. Some flannels and cigarettes in a cool apartment. A lot of cigarettes. Cool apartment. The coolest studio apartment. <laughs> Um, but I also love that movie because it's so believable, the whole, and all of Kevin Smith's movies. Shout out to Kevin Smith. We love you. Um, but all those movies do a good job of like, it's like, oh, you know, we were all just kids from small towns in New Jersey and somehow we, yeah. you know, we're, we're friends. It's almost like you and me, the Lakewood West Park connection, it's, you know? Yeah, you get, you get this vibe that everyone's from the same neighborhood, especially yeah. when they're very heavy Kevin Smith movies. Like, obviously, when he does fucking cop out. It doesn't feel as great. But, <laughs> oh, my God. We're not going to talk about combat. But <laughs> when he does movies, when it's Dogma or Chasing Amy or anything that's in his actual universe, all the characters, and I guess it's on the actor and director, to, all of them feel like friends almost. Yeah. So it has a natural, non-forced vibe, which is so crazy because I usually feel like Ben Affleck kind of gets a bad rap about that, that he can be kind of like wooden in yes. acting roles. And yeah. it's weird that the Kevin Smith roles, for some reason, he's able to get just this more like playful person out of it that doesn't seem as like shitty. I think it's just an understanding of like the douchebag that is Ben Affleck. For some reason, it just works with, it, with the Kevin Smith movies. Yeah. And I just was happy for Kevin when uh, they announced that Ben Affleck was going to be the Batman. I think he was the only one that was excited about it. But he's like, I don't care because I love Ben and I worked in all these movies with him. So, I mean, I think that. I'm happy that we did not go any further in a Batfleck universe. I agree. Because <laughs> uh, I think it would have just been a super harsh rehashing of A Dark Knight Returns mm -hmm. to harken back to last week. Just because Ben Affleck already seems mad fucking grizzled and like bitter as fuck. So I just imagine the movie just him stomping around just shooting people in the head. And you're like... Is this Judge Dredd or is this Batman? I'm not sure what. Well, and getting back to our flashback from yeah. number 77 on this list was The Dark Knight Returns, and there was a lot of 
even like the bat symbol on his chest oh, was very yeah. similar to the Frank Miller I mean, Batman. I mean, even was and it, the whole Batman vs Superman vibe. I was gonna say the, <laughs> the Batman vs Superman one in and the costume from that movie itself is almost ripped. Like the full metal Iron Man esque type suit. Yeah, was very much from the pages of Dark Knight. Returns. Yeah, exactly. And uh, that movie, fun fact, Batman vs Superman was the first movie that Bill Finger got credit for co-creation of Batman. I was gonna say, I was wondering if it was that one or if it was Justice League, but I knew for the longest time, because isn't Bob Kane kind of like a slime ball? So there's a great documentary. It's called Batman and Bill, and it's, yeah. it tells the whole story of this. Um, a lot of people obviously know Bob Kane is credited as the only creator of Batman when in reality, you know, some things have come to light lately that this Bill Finger who wrote a lot of the stories came up with a lot of characters. I mean, every like commissioner Gordon, the concept of a Batmobile, yeah, a whole he, string of villains, penguin Riddler. He, he was a major role in it. So, and he's more just recently getting credit. Yeah. He built the universe essentially yeah. from some guy who was just like, uh, Batman. I like that. What's up with that? <laughs> It's just someone put two words together, and he was like, all right, let me work on this. Yeah. And in reality... There was a lot of people involved. It, but but it was a deal that he had struck with DC to get, like, exclusive creation. Yeah, it was smart as a businessman, but yeah, he was kind of slimy. That's yeah, I was going to say... I mean, even I remember seeing, watching that documentary, you even see him, and he's just like a real tan, seems like a Miami kind of, like, yeah. just slick back old dude that's like, yeah, I made Batman, what, what of it? I think, you know, it's one of those things... With anybody, if you start making a little bit of money, sometimes it goes to your head. Things happen. Yeah, you know? and I I think once that like ball gets rolling too of you created Batman, you're like, listen, I'm just gonna gaslight the fuck out of everyone and <laughs> commit to just saying I made Batman. You kind of have to at some point. It, yeah, because it's either <laughs> if you're not gonna give the guy credit off rip, you still look like a piece of shit right. if you give him credit 25 years later to be like, well, guys, to be honest. It was me and Bill. You literally said <laughs> in his autobiography, he was like, actually, Bill, about 75%. Yeah. Like, so that leaves you with 25 and you're taking 100% of the money? Anyways, but uh, yeah, Chasing Amy. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're comic book artists in it, for those of you guys who haven't seen the movie, and that's just really cool. That was always a dream of mine to like work on comic books and just Oh, I mean, I think as that. every kid, that's your yeah. dream. So that was, it was just... It was a cool little snapshot of the 90s and into like comic book culture. And a real a scene real quick that I never noticed in the beginning when they're at this little comic convention and they're signing, doing the Blunt Man and Chronic signing. Oh, yeah. There's a guy wearing a T-shirt. I'm pretty sure it just says, I fucking hate Marvel Comics. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, well, that guy's definitely like, you know, super. I only like the, you know, underground comics. I want indie comics, comics yes. only. Exactly. But let's dive into this countdown. I'm excited. Yeah. There's some really good ones on this, on this list, guys. So getting into number 66 with... The OG number one, Incredible Hulk, Bruce Banner. How you uh, you got a fond fan of the Hulk? Um, well, I was like I said, just watched Ragnarok last night. You know he's awesome in that, but um, I'm not a hardcore Hulk fan. Um, I have read this book. Oh, um, you have read the? I have, yeah. So it's an origin, classic origin story. Yeah. Uh, Rick Jones, I don't know if you're familiar with that character, plays a huge role in this yeah, book. Who, he's just like the teen it, sidekick. Oh, he's the teen sidekick. Because I was going to say, he, I know there's Doc Samson. There's a whole yeah. You Rick, know, Rick Jones shows up all the time in like Avengers comics and stuff like that. Um, he's just like some kid that hangs out there. But so the whole thing is he saves Rick Jones. He's like, what? You know, they're on this nuclear blast site testing site, and he's like, hey, get out of the way, kid, and knocks him out of the way. 
and you know absorbs all those gamma rays. I mean, I don't want to say it was Rick Jones's fault, but yeah. you know, what if Rick Jones <laughs> was just like the Avengers weed dealer, and he's just always getting into like dumb problems, like a Shaggy from Scooby Doo yeah. style? I mean, it's pretty much what he was. Like, <laughs> he was like a kid that's always kind of around, and they're like, "Hey, man, you've caused like most of us to gain our powers, which we appreciate, but we're all freaks now." Yeah, and it's because of you, kid. So Hulk number one, he is originally gray. I was gonna book. say, and yeah. I'm. Assuming you probably know the story behind they couldn't get the grays right. Okay. So it was oh, an it was inconsistency. Stan? Stan was like, just make them green. <laughs> yeah, they it it was such an inconsistency on the grays. Yes, that's that what it was. they couldn't every time it was printing, I think it just kept looking wrong. And they were like, All right, fuck this gray thing. Let's just go to the Green Hulk. And I think they were trying to steer clear of the green at first because this is back when monster books were also super huge in comics. And I think they kind of wanted to do a crossover like monster book, but have him end up being a hero. Yeah. Because, I mean, originally the Hulk just looks like a monster. It's not like he's an essentially good guy. I don't think he even becomes a good guy for a hot minute in the comics. Yeah, there's been so much that's happened with the Hulk. A lot of people have, it's one of those stories that a lot of different people have had their hands at trying to write a good story for him. Yeah, I feel like there's probably not a great linear story of of Hulk because so much shit has happened that he's always just a either reluctant hero or I'm trying to do right, but it turns out I keep smashing shit. (laughs) And we'll give Hulk big credit for, you know, kind of bringing the Marvel universe and comic book universe and onto TV television yeah. and movies, you know, that Hulk show with Lou Ferrigno in the seventies was yeah, huge. Big Lou. Yeah. Which is kind of, I've, I don't think I've ever actually seen an episode of the seventies Hulk. I have. How is it? Well, I, so the best one everyone talks about that I've seen like the full scene of is when he fights a bear. Oh, sick. And I'm guessing real bear, too. It was a real bear. That was the room. Everyone was like, no, that's a guy in the suit. And they had Lou Ferrigno on comic book men. And he was like, it was a real bear. It was a baby bear. So, like, that's how he was able to kind of push it around a little bit. It's not, yeah. you know, if it was a full-size grizzly, they would have taken him down in a second. Oh, 100%. And also, how are people, like, not able to tell the difference in 1970 between, like, a bear and a man? Does it look? I mean, the... TV pictures sucked back then. <laughs> I guess that's true. I just feel like I would definitely be able to notice the difference between, like, no, that's not a real bear. That's just a guy in a bear well, suit. Well, that's maybe what they said. Like, no, it's too small to be a bear. No one thought, like, oh, yeah, it's just a juvenile bear. <laughs> yeah, because it turns out a real bear would fucking kill Lou Ferrigno. What, um... So, I, I think I know the answer, but just to clarify, favorite uh, TV or movie version of... The Hulk. I, I'm gonna give it to Mark Ruffalo because he just does a really good job, mostly with the Bruce Banner part. But I totally great. agree. But I, I do like the Edward Norton movie. I yeah. like that one. That one's pretty good. I just you know, and I love Edward Norton, but there was something about it. It, it wasn't. I, I wasn't buying it. I think that Edward Norton also brings like a lot of tension to roles in general. Yeah, and I like Mark Ruffalo. I'm also gonna go Mark Ruffalo. Uh, because who's oh Eric Bana was in the Angley oh, one. Yeah. When you look up pictures of that, he looks so goofy. But yeah, I think Mark or Edward Norton, one just a little too intense. I kind of like some of the comic relief that Mark Ru- yeah. that Mark Ruffalo brings to. I can imagine Edward Norton saying those lines that are kind of like the funny relief lines. Oh yeah. Or like him giving you know uh, Ant Man a couple tacos in a thing. 
I could never imagine Edward Norton. <laughs> he would just be like killing people in the back somewhere or just brooding the yeah, entire his movie. quiet intensity. Yeah. So, I mean, I definitely think them getting Mark Ruffalo on board was a huge asset. And I think they're keeping him around for a very long time. I think so, too. Because I know he's going to be in. Shout out, new She-Hulk show. Ooh, yeah, I heard about that. So um, so let's move on. Number 65, I'm going to say, honestly, one of my favorite characters that I don't know a ton about, <laughs> if that makes sense, is Plastic Man number one. Um, I've always thought Plastic Man was like a super cool character. I don't even necessarily know where I remember him from because he doesn't have a lot of on-screen time in anything. He did eventually make it to TV on like a cartoon show. Okay. He. Oh, you know what? It was probably maybe like a later Batman one. Because I don't think he was yeah. in the Justice League Unlimited stuff. It was, yeah, it was a, I, he did have a cartoon, though. This was years after this comic book. Yeah. This, this is an old book. Yeah. So the history on this is basically originally appearing in 1943. Um, Plastic Man kind of comes on the scene. He was already supposed to be a satire character. So it was kind of like them making fun of superheroes in 1943, which kind of seems on the nose when they were like, we just invented this. They suck. Um, but it didn't originally sell very well. Um, and the artist, let me see if I can grab a quick name here. Uh, Jack Cole ends up becoming a huge artist over at Playboy. Oh, no kidding. So he starts doing... You know, you got to think, if Plastic Man came out in 43, it's probably runs for, I think, maybe four or five years. And then he ends up moving on to Playboy and becomes a huge artist for all those iconic Playboy. Uh, he never did a cartoon cover. Okay. But he did a lot of the interior cartoons. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like that's a running joke even with Playboys that you're like, Oh, I get it for the cartoons. <laughs> but maybe Jack Cole fucking used to crush it. Yeah. And well, he was he drew a lot of legs on Plastic Man, the long I was legs. Just, <laughs> he knows how to draw some long legs. That's right. <laughs> but um another crazy part about it is unfortunately, 1958, Jack Cole takes himself out. Oh wow. So he was gaining success at Playboy. I think he was probably just this book, unfortunately, well, fortunately, I would say, doesn't go super into it, but he's probably just, it's a classic kind of manic artist person, it sounds like. Mm -hmm. it sounds like he kind of struggled through and was just like making it by a lot of times, even though he was getting published. I think back in the day, companies were able to fleece artists. Oh, yeah. Left and right on, you know, you're going to get 10 bucks for this drawing and we're going to sell a million copies. But honestly, I always thought Plastic Man was super cool. He was cool, you know, and he kind of lives in the shadow, unfortunately, of um, Mr. Fantastic, who has the exact same powers, but obviously well, Plastic Man came and much I was, before that. I was even going to say, now um, the Flash TV show had introduced Elongated Man, oh. uh, Phil, or Ralph Dibney, who also ended up playing a... He started sort of got his jump back into DC Comics during... I want to say it was one of the Infinity cri Infinite Crisis, some a certain crisis <laughs> where I know essentially the story was Doctor Light ends up murdering Sue Dibney, his wife, 
and kind of getting a little a little freaky with it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, there was like a whole storyline about them wiping the memories of villains and shit. Okay. So I know that's where he jumped back in, but I wish Plastic Man kind of got more front and center. Yeah. It you know, it's it is what it is. I did like his really cool sunglasses. That was I was going to say the I feel like he might be a little too cartoony. A little bit. But but it, like you said it was um it was a satire, a satire of, yes. of comic book characters already. So I think that goofiness is an essence to his whole character. That's right. All right, let's move on with nothing left to say on that. Speaking of The Flash, we are jumping into Flash 105. Uh, basically, this is the first appearance of New Flash. Mm-hmm. Uh, goodbye, Jay Garrick. Go suck on somewhere else, dude. <laughs> no one cares about your dumb hat. And uh, who is it? Barry, Barry Allen. Allen. Yeah. Coming in as our new Flash. Is this the Flash you think of when... Yeah. Definitely Barry Allen. Uh, Wally, is that the next one? Um, It's Barry Allen, then yeah, Wally West. Yeah, Wally West was cool too, but um, this is just that beloved Silver Age yeah. Flash. This is coming in the same time as you know that Silver Age Green Lantern we mentioned a couple episodes ago. Yeah, this is definitely that prime. This is like DC prime time right here. Yeah, and when they reintroduced, and all they're these starting people. to build this really good catalog of some pretty solid heroes that would eventually, you know, go on Justice League. And, and all I was gonna say, so. not even just heroes, but I think they really started to uh, build out the villains as well. Yes, and kind of had more story arc to a villain other than they're committing an absurd comical crime. I agree. I, you know, I, I don't know. I was never a big fan of the Flash's Rogue Gallery. Re- yeah, they're just reverse Flash. Come on, give me a break. Yeah, it is. I will say, the Flash has such a strong issue with having so many big villains that are just evil speedsters. Yeah, just the same exact powers he has, except evil. And it's just. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I you know it's it's a cool uh, superpower to have. Run do you fast think? And... Do you think that Batman having such a diverse rogues gallery in the DC universe already kind of makes the Flash's rogue gallery seem a little bit like a ripoff of because you have Mister Freeze yeah. and you have Captain Cold. Yes, you kind of get these like mirrored, almost like they were in the next room, like. What was the new villain he just said? He's like, oh yeah, okay, we'll do that idea. A cold guy. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, you get those vibes. Um, but I mean, Flash is a classic, you know. He yeah, I think obviously Batman is able to have a little bit more of a tangible feel because he doesn't have superpowers. Where the Flash can go super fast, so you have to think of new problems to dilute that power and yeah. figure out like. Oh, it's ice, or he's trapped in mirrors. You kind of have to have like a weird solution to beating him. So this is the um, what what number is this? So this is technically one oh five. I have read this one. I was gonna say yeah. what they did. I believe was they had that small break in between, you know, the Jay Garrick Flash and that run of comics, and then when they brought the Flash back, they actually did do like kept the numbering. So they just went into 105 or, you know, 104 or whatever it started at. I did wonder that. Okay, because I have read this book. I got a collection from the library. Yeah. And it was um, 
like volume one of the Silver Age, and this was like one of the first. I'm like, why is it 105? Like this is making sense. So, okay, that makes more sense. Yeah. So I think honestly, nothing can be more confusing sometimes than just comic numbering in general. Because yeah. you're like, I want to read the first one. They're like, all right, it starts at 3:42, and you're like, what? But yeah, like the one in this a couple issues after this, I think it's like 107 or something. I don't know, but. uh I think it's like the Pied Piper is the bad oh, guy. Oh, yeah. Like, come on. That's what I'm talking about. Like, these these villains, we're getting into, like, Aesop's fables here. <laughs> what is going on? Today, the Flash fights the big bad wolf. And fucking Mother Goose. Like, what? <laughs> um, but you know what the Flash did do that I thought was super cool was this run of Flash was the first time DC introduced the theory of a multiverse. Really? Because you get... I want to say it's honestly pretty early into this run, maybe the first 20 or so issues into the second run of The Flash was Flash of Two Earths. Okay. Um, so you had Jay Garrick and um, Barry Allen kind of coming together. I haven't read it, but I know that was the first time DC delved into what would be their continuous forever infatuation with a multiverse they love it they're like how can we write more stories about the same thing <laughs> there's multiple earths dude and they always put flash in there um my one buddy shout out dylan devito was telling me about uh the flashpoint paradox yeah they, they did an animated version of it and it's on hbo max i haven't watched it oh i I've, heard it's awesome i've read flashpoint paradox and watched um they're both super good yeah. i love DC and that's that same multiverse type. Feel. It's the same yeah. multiverse type deal, and I think uh, Flashpoint Paradox is one of the better versions of them going into the multiverse and kind of having it be an understandable and not such a corny like we're just the opposite of the Justice League. We're the crime syndicate. Yeah, and it just kind of seems really forced at certain times. Flashpoint definitely. It gives you a better butterfly effect yeah. of, like, if one thing changed, how everything else would kind of dogpile on top of When that. did the book come out? Um, I want to say the book came out in maybe mid-2000s. Oh, okay. Somewhere around there. So it's a relatively newer book. I want to say it actually might have kicked off New 52. Oh. So it kicked off one of – DC has so many. I know it wasn't Rebirth, so I want to say it could have been New 52 – that kicked it off because that caused a whole bunch of other changes. And obviously they ended up scrapping mm-hmm. new 52 anyways in the long run. Uh, last question for this book. Yeah. Do you think flash will show up again on this countdown and is in a standalone book in a standalone book? Um, the only other one I could think of would be if it was uh flash of two or worlds or something well we'll see i was gonna say because that's the only one i can think of that would be have the importance but do you do you think he's coming back on here i let me put it this way i wouldn't be surprised if he didn't yeah i there's just not a bunch of like crisis on infinite because we actually haven't read through this whole thing we've been kind of going yeah at we're it, going like, at it ourselves same pace as you guys um so i i don't if, if you know i could see crisis on infinite earth or something showing up but or yeah, obviously a Justice League comic's going to show up eventually. Yeah, so. but other than standalone, that, who knows? Uh, but that's a good call. We'll see what happens. Um, all right, let's get over to sixty-three. We have Hot Rod Comics, the first issue. This is basically your standard nineteen fifties, um, all about cars, all about you know people got back from the war and were fucking souping up hot rods. I mean. 
it basically seems like an early version of Fast and the Furious. It's kind of just like there's there's not a lot to it. I'm not a huge I've always stated, I think in every show I've ever recorded, that I'm not a huge car guy. Yeah. It just I get it, but so why did, why do you think this book made the list? Um, what does it say here? Honestly, I think with this book making the list, it was such a huge phenomenon to have Hot Rod Comics start becoming in the forefront. It was almost I think building Hot Rods in the 50s was listening to punk music in the 70s. It was just very fringe and companies started to realize, "All right, cool. We can use these fringe cultures." And sell that to kids because that's what kids think are cool, anyways. Yeah, they were so over war comics because we just ended World War II. Like, let's get a fuck enough with all that shit. And I think this one I know ends up um, lasting the longest. It kind of showed that these niche markets could sustain a comic run for a while, and I think still make money. But yeah, it's just one of those comics to me that. If you really like racing, if you think hot rods are really cool, it's it's obviously your thing. But I don't think it serves as it's honestly something I would have taken off the list, <laughs> right. if that makes sense. But I do get why it was comic book creators taking a chance on something that wasn't necessarily a patriotic vibe or a more traditional horror sci-fi western thing. Yeah, they were like, let's just talk about these fucking kids souping up cars and racing. So it was, I guess, more of a story about modern times that actually felt real to people. Well, would so, be my guess. Yeah. And I read, you know, two paragraphs about it a week ago. So I'm very <laughs> well versed. All right. We are moving on to 62. Boom. Shadow Comics number Ooh, one. the shadow. Have you ever read... A shadow or seen the movie no neither to but i'm i'm familiar with the character and for those that don't know this character had a huge influence on batman who oh, was one yeah. of my favorites he um, was it's very similar i was gonna say the shadow is basically early batman it's playboy uh philanthropist type dude who just kind of goes out at night and fucks people up except and, he has a gun and i have seen i mean like the artwork on it is great too it's it, it definitely falls into that pulp category as far as the look and feel was like, you know, at the end of the day, still like a superhero more or less. Well, cause what it originally was, um, from my understanding was a radio character. Oh yeah. Yeah. That it kind of got created mostly out of people doing these detective shows and these kind of, you know, mystery science theater type things Noir. on the radio. And they didn't have a name for the narrator, but the narrator obviously is kind of modifying his voice to sound more fucking, ooh, spooky ghost. <laughs> um, so the fans kind of named him The Shadow. They ended up doing a contest that was about, you know, um, what's The Shadow look like? And it just all snowballed. I think it was the first time people had a clamoring for wanting these detective stories it was early on i mean this was definitely 1929 oh wow i mean yeah these were definitely super early on started as ma or started as a radio show went on to be a magazine as comics kind of grew and became bigger i think it's just honestly one of the main roots for yeah. all comics and he rocked a cape yeah yeah he had the cape 
He had the mystery behind him. I think it definitely laid the groundwork for what comics would become. And I think Alec Baldwin played him in a movie. Is that what it was? Oh, I man. think, I'm pretty sure it was Alec Baldwin played him in The Shadow, which I don't know is better or worse than Who's My Boy Who Plays the Phantom. Billy Zane. Billy Zane, dude. <laughs> so is Alec Baldwin as The Shadow better or worse than Billy Zane? I haven't seen either of them. I probably never will get around oh. to it. It's a shame all these old school characters can never get a good movie. Like the other one was The Spirit. Yeah. And Frank Miller's like, oh, man, people are going to go nuts for this. Oh, because they did the spirit uh, in that Sin City style. It was very, they? yeah, that black and white, like it kind of looked like a comic book. It uh, actually looked exactly like Sin City, but nowhere near as successful. I think when you do movies like that, too, it's kind of the same as that, uh, that 300 vibe, where once you use the filter once for a movie, <laughs> yeah. everyone's like, oh, yeah, I don't need to see this anymore. We did it one time. We got it. Yeah, yeah it's like when... J.J. Abrams uses the screen flare. He's like, yeah, that's me, dude. <laughs> screen flares are my shit. If I see you using it. Are you talking about when someone just turns on a flare? It, no, it's like, it'll be these like almost just like pops of light. If you watch J.J. Abrams movies, notice that like in certain scenes, though, when it's either op- like introing into the scene or kind of exiting out, you'll get these kind of like light pop-ups that like flare from like a light somewhere. So it gives you this weird, like, almost outer space feeling, and it creates, like, a lot of the aura he has in movies. You. I got you. Um, anything else on The Shadow, though? No, uh, but I think that if you're interested in it, you guys should check it out. Um, I know they mention it in, like, Comic Book Confidential, the documentary yeah, and stuff like that. Yeah, it's definitely, like I said, it's a standard that you should at least always know about. Yeah. If you call yourself a comic book person and don't know about The Shadow, even just by name alone... Yeah. I feel like you're fucking up, and you're definitely getting called out. Oh, yeah. Um, let's move on to number 61. Another – we haven't had this. Have we had a Green Lantern on the list yet? We had the showcase one. Oh, the showcase Green Lantern. So this was big. So we got – what is it? Green Lantern number 76. This is right up your alley, and it's Papa. Green, yeah, man. It's Green Lantern and Green Arrow. So they decided at DC at one point just to put these guys together, and – like you know, it's a lot of people are like it's it's too much green. No one's gonna read this. You well, know? this was the first was this Green Lantern run the first time um, Neil Adams got to like get up to bat and yeah. just really fuck things up. So Neil Adams in a good way. Great, great. He was an amazing artist. Um, I love what he did with Batman as well. But you know, he he was a heavy hitter for DC, and then he teamed up with Denny O'Neill, and they made this book, and it was really successful. There was just a really good relationship between. Um, between Hal and Ollie, um, I, I it, it was it was pretty uh, pretty groundbreaking at the time as far as you know. Hey, let's pair up these two pretty big names and put them in the same book and see what happens. Yeah, I think this definitely to me seems like the best, other than possibly which I haven't read, but I've heard the Jeff Johns run of Green Lantern is okay. phenomenal. Um, this seems like the most important run of Green Lantern. That kind of, one, I think pairing him up with Green Arrow is so cool to me because you have a guy who can create anything out of a ring who's supposed to be a cop for a whole section of the universe, and then you have one guy who can't even keep a kid off heroin and has a bow and arrow. <laughs> I mean, it's their team-up on it is it's such an opposites attract type thing, but that makes it such a more tangible, realistic 
Green Arrow's able to point out abs- absurdities, and it kind of grounds something that's super fantastical. And yeah. it doesn't take a lot for Green Lantern to get like out of control, I feel like, where you're just like, wow, you're in charge of a million or like a hundred planets. Yeah, but we were talking about that, you know, and I'll be completely honest. Like, this was a successful run, and people really liked it. But I know we were talking about it the one day. I prefer Green Lantern as that space cop. I, Green Lantern is cooler in space when he's doing very cool celestial things. I totally agree. I think now, I think this was a good, you had to have a grounding story. You had to have a time yeah, where Green Lantern. And I think this story also develops all those other Green Lanterns being able to come in to the mix. Because without Hal Jordan going crazy didn't neil adams do the parallax storyline i don't i don't know i don't think so okay i really but either way but yeah i think it grounds hal jordan to open up the door for us getting guy gardner kyle rayner john stewart all these other people that end up being people's favorite green lantern yeah like you were saying you didn't realize online until like a minute ago that people are like, "Dude, fuck Hal Jordan." Yeah, people are, have some words to say. Unkind people didn't words. forget a guy. They didn't forget about Coast City, dude. <laughs> You're a fucking monster, Hal, and we know what you've and done. And then I, after I was like, I, "I get it," but you know, either way, the, yeah, I was telling you what the one dude said. He's like, "The best thing Hal Jordan ever did was leave the core." Like they were talking about him, like he was <laughs> like, like he's a real person. Like he was like an athlete leaving a team, and I don't know. It was it was funny. I love the the internet's so perfect for that to make comic books seem like they're real they'll be like what he did to the core is absolutely unfucking forgivable okay there's an honor to that core not just anyone can join a ring has to choose you um but i will say i think this story is also in here because i know it catapulted neil adams into being someone that both dc and marvel could kind of rely on to help reinvigorate comics that might be on that downward trajectory and figure out new stories and new ways to incorporate them into the real world or into more situations that people can relate to. And I think this book is a great example of that, of making someone so out of this world feel so a part of like an everyday life. Yes. Uh, Anything else on Green Lantern? That's going to do it. I will say... I know we got a HBO Max Green Lantern core show yeah. coming in the future as well, which I'm pretty excited about, to be honest, because I'm hoping that goes into the space cop realm more than the Ryan Reynolds movie. For sure. Because, I mean, that was just an unspeakable. We don't, we don't talk about that one. Um, <laughs> all right. Jumping into number 60, we have Strange Adventures. So with Strange Adventures, it is... Julia Schwartz um, basically created the world's best science fiction comic book he possibly could. Uh, I want to say, is Julia Schwartz who the book... um, Oh, man. There's a fucking book, I swear, that's based about this dude, about him and his cousin growing up. I'm not going to remember it. Someone's yelling it at the speaker right now. (laughs) But write us in. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's Strange Adventures number one. It was your classic kind of sci-fi book. Um, the first one's iconic because it's the only live-action photograph used for it, where all the other ones are painted by oh, okay, cool. just like a 
bunch of just wildly famous artists of the time. Um, but yeah, I'm not science fiction's cool. Yeah. I feel like I like the artwork a lot on those. Um, that's why I appreciate it more very, is the actual uh, art. And I, I believe I've been using some of these clips for um, the pictures that I've been using as the pictures yeah. for our podcast for the the series we've been doing. And uh, it's like mysteries of space, mysteries in space, mysteries in space. Yeah. I mean, like I think that artwork is really this cool. this time period too is just like everyone loves science fiction. I think even at this point, you could say all comics are kind of science fiction. And yes. To a degree, I think we've just broken off and everyone wants to be so subgenre now. But um, yeah, it was the first time they were able to just get real authors and real artists to transition from more traditional literature and books that way. And I think kind of get them more into like a comic book frame of mind. And I'm sure it definitely opened the door for a lot of those people to go on and continue to do those kind of books and figure out, you know, hey, I don't just have to write fucking prose all day. I can do like a fun, different style of comic or of writing than just here's a hardback book, here's the story. You can add life into it and sci fi and suspense and all those things just gain so much when you have that picture with it, I think. Yeah. Um, anything else about Strange Adventures though? I don't think so. You I was going to say, the next two are definitely some older ones, yeah. but they both have good reasons for being in here. Um, on that note, 59 is Crime Suspense Stories, number 22. Okay. Which, in here, for the notorious reason of being one of, allegedly, the most gruesome covers of the entire 1950s. <laughs> um, so, a quick description of the cover like I said, if you want to check it out, Crime Suspense Stories, number 22. Um, it is a man who's clearly just casually chopped his wife's head off, uh, holding her head. But you don't see the neckline. You don't see any of like the actual gore. You do see the axe, the guy holding the head. But I don't know. I think it's a fucking super sick cover. It's it's pretty cool. It looks like the ba- if a band ripped this for album art, I would buy the vinyl just a frame. Yeah. It's yeah, like it's not overly violent, but for back then pe- oh, for, people weren't having it. But I think it does the reason this is in here as well is it goes towards the freedom of speech, the freedom of expression and kind of that early fight for those things. The person who actually published these went on to also publish Mad Magazine. Oh, okay. So they've always just been continuously pushing the um, the boundaries of things. They even figured out with Mad Magazine that originally it was Mad Comics. When they put in the comics code, they were like, check this out, motherfucker. We're Mad Magazine. Yeah. And magazines don't have a comics code. So they just have been skirting the rules and kind of, it seems like the rebellious spirit of comics kind of lives in this uh, crime suspense stories 22 of just we're going to do what we want and we're going to kind of push the envelope to get people to read and buy these stories. And it worked. Yeah. <laughs> Anything else on uh, crime suspense? No, no. That's uh, We got some really good books coming up here. I'm I was going to say. So a couple, we're still in some older books, but we are going to rock with 58 being... Thunder, King of the Congo. Um, essentially, from my whole understanding, this is basically just a Tarzan rip 
Um, it has to do a lot with the artists who worked on the book, um, who kind of end up going on to work on Strange Adventures as well. So it's definitely a very heavy artwork style that people wanted to bring to a page and doing a more painted style. But yeah, to me, I'm not totally positive why this is on. I mean, yeah, this is the third like jungle ad- type adventure we've had as far as Which, like a, guy, a big buff guy. This particular guy is uh, choking one of the natives on the cover of the classic. <laughs> it does seem like there's a fuck ton of these Georgia the Jungle style dudes. And how hostile this guy is to these native folks. I feel like the word uh, savage appears at least once in this yeah, book. Yeah, <laughs> there's definitely some pretty questionable language towards people in this book that uh, I just don't get. I guess people love the thrill of thinking someone lived in the jungle like that. Oh, I'm sorry. Correction. He's actually he's, he's strangling one of the natives and he's got another one in a headlock. Oh, dude. <laughs> one hand str- dude, double choke out. Like it's nothing. He's like the undertaker. Um, Honestly, like I've said, though, I'm not a big fan of any kind of Tarzan, any kind of like yeah. guy in the jungle vibe saving a woman doesn't appeal to me. I mean, Thunder, King of the Congo, I I just don't know how I feel about a white guy running the yeah, show. Yeah, being the King of the Congo. <laughs> that doesn't seem accurate to me. Just, I, yeah. I seem like that, mu- that might have been a 1950s vibe. I, I think you're right, you know. Um, going on to 57, we have... It's a plain and simple one, 3D comics. So the whole reason for this being in here is literally the advent of companies trying to make 3D comic books, which, spoiler alert, about four. (laughs) Um, Basically, they started doing 3D with movies, and I didn't realize they were doing 3D that yeah, it was it was the old school 3D with the red and blue window. Yeah, but I didn't realize that was all the way back in, what is this, almost... 1950? Yeah. Yeah, 1952 that they had 3D technology. It didn't look great. But we were using the red and blue glasses, I feel like, in 1990. Yeah. How did we not advance 3D tech it in took, 40 years? It took a while. Now we have the cool sunglass looking, re- the real D. Yeah, and that's all thanks to, uh, who's my boy, diving deep in the sea? Oh, James Cameron? James Cameron. Oh, yeah, the Avatar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you know... And, you know, this is obviously this whole 3D comics thing. It was a novelty thing. Um, oh, and they and it sold. You know, they were just they were making some money, but it does have significance. It definitely well, is worth mentioning. I think it's an important thing because yeah, it was such a new one. But honestly, through this whole little article they write about it, I think one comic brand made T might have published two as well. The biggest issue I think with it was them having to, um, they have to redraw every layer that they want to have be 3D on cell sheets. So just the labor-intensive work of that just kind of... It makes it such a more stringent job to have to draw comics when you're drawing them twice, and then you have how you think a 3D image is going to play out in the world's worst way to see 3D images. Right. So, um, yeah, and this one... It's not even like worth a lot of money. Back oh, in two thousand four, two hundred fifty bucks. I mean, I guess that's kind of a lot for a you know funny book. But. You, you know what I do love about it though is that um, in this article it says that they do catch a fair price, which two fifty is honestly one of the lowest books on here. 
And also, they only caught they only catch a fair price if they come with the glasses at nine point two. Yeah, and you're like, who the fuck got this comic in 1952 and was like, well, I better hold on to this tech. And you, yeah, and you know the, these these were not like taking care of books. Like, no, this I book's not gonna be worth shit. I guarantee you, the fucking plastic on those glasses would have detailed either way. Um, breaking into number fifty six here. Jump into Wonder Woman issue one. Very good timing too with the new movie. Coming I was out. gonna say two days. Oh yeah, because it's dropping HBO Max on Christmas. Yeah, huh? man, Merry Christmas. I mean, but that movie's been ready for over a year. It I has. Think. Yeah, I, I remember it was supposed to come out in theaters. What May or something? Yeah, it was supposed to come yeah. out in the summer, and then it's they... a shame. It was one of the few few like you know movies, blockbuster type movies I was looking forward to seeing. And I have heard that it got great reviews. Yeah, it just and it, it, you can tell it's going to be very visually pleasing. But yeah, Wonder Woman number one. Um, I mean, iconic for a reason, I'd say. Absolutely. I mean, it uh, basically with one Wonder Woman came out relatively close to Superman appearing and everything, mm-hmm. so it wasn't too far after. It was actually the uh, the guy who created Wonder Woman also created the lie detector machine. No kidding. So he. It wasn't necessarily the full put together lie detector machine, but yeah. it was a blood pressure monitor that they ended up transitioning into the lie detector. Yeah. Um, so he developed that in you know the early '40s or whatever. He sees the dawn of superheroes coming with Superman, Batman, all that kind of stuff. Kind of questioned why he why there was no female superheroes. Which, I mean, even at that time, I would give this guy, like, very normal thought today. But back then, kind of a a newer thinking thing. Like, why don't we have a female superhero? Yeah. Um, And someone at a publishing house basically was like, hey, man, here's the challenge. If you can create one, I'll publish it for you. And this dude came out the bat and just did... Wonder Woman number one. Yeah, and this is a really cool cover, guys. She's riding on a horse. Supposed to be, they do give the cover of the first issue. It's two. Oh, okay. But they do say that the cover is a lot more reminiscent of World War One for sure. Yeah, because she's on horseback and (laughs) they're in trenches. It doesn't really make a ton of sense. But I think it was. I was more surprised how early Wonder Woman came out, and also that Wonder Woman was able to kind of beat that comic book bubble along with superman and batman of comics essentially disappearing and becoming just trash Mm -hmm. and then they go on to get this whole brand new life and she ended up making it through that even though i mean at the time they were saying there's a great quote in here talking about the fan base she has that oh lord i don't want to mess this up uh but it talks about yeah how Wonder Woman was able to stand the test of time, and their quote was, so there must have been a large and faithful readership, and it couldn't have been comprised only of young boys and men who had hidden fantasies about powerful women in costumes. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, it couldn't have just been boys and perverts reading the comic. Like, as if it would be so insane that they were like, well, a woman couldn't have been reading them. It couldn't have been a girl. <laughs> it could have only been a pervert. 
<laughs> it's such a shitty quote that why would you add that into a book? Oh god. Whoever edited Thanks, Jerry Weiss. Yeah, Jerry. Um <laughs> but from there we're basically gonna move on to Conan the Barbarian number one. Uh any familiarity with I could care less about Conan. You know, and this is the whole thing even with these jungle comics and Tarzan and Thunder King of the Congo. Like yeah. I don't care about like big strong men, like that are just kind of I barbaric. totally I totally agree with it, and I know that from just the short read that they give you, it's basically Marvel was doing their superhero thing. There was a big phase, I want to say '60s, that people were getting into what they deemed sword and sorcery. Um, so Stanley basically gave this dude a hundred and fifty bucks and was like. Go find a sword and sorcery style book that we can convert into a comic. Let them know that for every issue, we'll give them 150 bucks in royalties. So fucking absolutely nothing to print this comic. And uh, the guy was getting stonewalled by a couple people. He thought Conan was going to be too brutal. Um, After getting stonewalled, he basically was like, well, let's try and get Conan, I guess. Ended up offering him $200 in royalties, saying that he would just take the 50 out of his own paycheck to give him, <laughs> which, again, still doesn't seem like a ton of money to be like, well, at least we got that 200 bucks from Marvel. This is all in. for Conan. Like, yeah, I'm for so, Conan. I'm sorry. I'm, um, I'm <laughs> so, yeah, they but Conan ended up becoming a huge Marvel I mean, they had the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, right? Yeah. Now, these these books are always going to have their little kind of... You know, it's not selling like Spider-Man, obviously, but the, the people that like this book really like this yeah. book. They like that fantasy. Yeah, you said the, the, the sword, sword and sorcery yeah. stuff. And I'm I'm not a huge Lord of the Rings person. Me neither, I'm not you know, a big... I, I don't care about which is... things I kind of wish I was into. You know, but, if I could sit down and play a great game yeah. of Dungeons & Dragons... Don't get me wrong. I'd fucking love to. Yeah. If someone goes, hey, we're going to spend the next six months playing a board game. Great. <laughs> That's my kind of activity. But my brain's like, who gives a fuck right. about what spell got casted? Yeah. And it's ex- exactly the magic stuff, too. That's the same thing with like. Doctor- yeah. So Doctor Strange, I've more recently become a pretty big Doctor Strange fan. And it is stuff that I'm out stuff, but. But something about that book, it just does it really well. And and that's the same thing I was talking about. Like, you know, it's not selling like Spider-Man. It's like, uh, you know, X-Men. But it's it, the people that like it, they really like it. And I'm yeah. one of them when it comes to Doctor Strange. I, I also think Doctor Strange, to me, is a little more based in modern time. And it's a little bit more of, like, the trippy side of magic. Yeah. As opposed to, we got to go find some fucking elderberries and, you know, rabbit bones to make, yeah, like, like, a dumbass spell right. that he, isn't going to work anyways. No, yeah, like, Doctor Strange lives in Manhattan. It's yeah, he lives modern. in... He, yeah, he's like, dude, I go to fucking Soho House, you piece of shit, <laughs> all right? I'm not in the fucking woods eating with fucking elves, Yeah, my okay? man parties with Andy Warhol, dude. Yeah, he definitely... <laughs> Doctor Strange gets down. It's yeah, it's the people living in the woods and in the forest and stuff that I just have zero allure to. Like I just don't care. It's like, guess what? Medieval times is done, dude. Get a fucking cell phone and grow up. <laughs> um but yeah, from there, let's move on. So these are gonna be our last two books. Last uh, two for the day. Alright. Uh number fifty-four. I think this might be a bit of a quick one here, but we have Hit Comics. I am not familiar with Hit Comics myself, 
Um, based off the cover of it, though, I'm going to say quickly we got a bit of a uh, a swashbuckler, but he's got a he's got a little gad on him, shooting at some pirates. He's got that hammer? Oh, he's got the hammer on him, dude. Looks like he shot a guy off the this boat here. They used to just straight kill people on the front of comics <laughs> all the time. It I do get that fucking uh you know innocence lost fucking or loss of the innocence book now dude they yeah. were just they were seduced man they were sed- it was the <laughs> seduction the of the buckles. innocence dude and they just shot people i bet in new york city at this time there were just a bunch of kids hanging on the uh chains of ships with guns just <laughs> shooting at merchants as they now, went in nothing to you know uh blow your nose at the fact that Back in 2004, this book could catch $10,000 if you have one in 9.2. That's that's pretty impressive. See, it's these weird kind of comics that it, are able to give gain these values because I bet it was such a small run. I mean, dude, like look, th- what this guy's wearing. Like, I kind of wish you guys could see this. Look up, look up, hit comics number one if you guys are by the Google. It machine. looks sick. I mean, he's wearing like striped like leggings. And like a domino mask, a red domino mask. Like, what is going on? It kind of looks like uh, the first version of like a Joker. But just, I love that he's just really campy outfits. Yeah, that's the start of that, I guess. Like, you know what I'll wear to murder these guys? My striped leggings. <laughs> that's how they'll know me. Oh, geez. Uh, all right, so let's move on to our final comic of the day. I will go down saying. Definitely my favorite team in all of comics. Uh, and I can't believe this is in the bottom 50. Bottom 50, yeah. As well. Uh, X-Men number one. How you feel? What's your X-Men vibes? So I'm oh, big X-Men fan. Um, I have read this book. Okay. It, it's um, it's a just real simple, great introduction story. It does, yeah. a, it does a great, quick job of introducing, hey, this is Charles Xavier. These are the mutants. You know, he has a school for gifted youngsters. It doesn't really dive super into the origin stories to, to each individual X-Men. Oh, yeah. I kind of like, you know, it's not t- like, you know, tired. Um, but then you got and it's even got Magneto and he like hijacks, you know, like a nuclear weapon. And it's just a great, you know, introduction to like what basically the bare bones of what X-Men is. Now, you know, the Jack Kirby was on this one, right? Yeah. These, yeah. Are, these are Jack Kirby's draw. I mean, this classic lineup of what is it, Cyclops, you got Iceman, you got Marvel Girl, you've got. Beast and Angel. So that's the original lineup. The OG team. And mind you, if you have not seen this, very different looking Beast than you're probably used to. Because this is still when Beast is more just Hunchback and Notre Dame style. Yes. And then Iceman also more like Slushy Man. Yeah, he's just like a like a snowman. Like, I don't know. But uh, interesting to note about this book, um, <laughs> even though it is X-Men number one, it was kind of a snoozer like people it just didn't catch on for some reason no i honestly i know that the first run of x-men truly did struggle yeah exactly um i know that at a certain time they were honestly just reprinting old stories and just back running those as reprinted you know one-off random things it wasn't until giant size x-men yeah that we got the diverse cast and then you started getting a lot of people you your Wolverines, your Storms, people you consider to be core X-Men. Yeah. That now, anytime the X-Men are ever in something, you're like, oh, yeah, that's Storm and Wolverine. It's Yeah, it's weird to and think even about Because Night, Nightcrawler, I think, was in that. Yeah, yeah. That was all introduced when, when Chris Claremont really turned the book around. Because, you know, what you got here is, I mean, it's hard to picture a universe where the X-Men weren't just super cool and super popular. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, they it took time, but it was one of those books that I think, you know, Stan and Jack knew like these are cool characters. I think yeah. I think, you know, like let's just keep printing this for a little bit. Something will happen. And I it d- did. I think they knew it was a really great idea to start, but I also think that with them kind of being ahead of their time, you kind of are still stuck in certain ruts on things. So it's like when someone grows up with the characters, you're like, well, what about what's it like when this happens? Like when you read comics, you're always kind of thinking about what's not happening on the panel sometimes or where other characters are and how they interact with people. So you're even when you're reading a comic, you're almost building your own story too in your head. Like you're building your own little universe. And I think with Chris Claremont and these people growing up with those comics, you have a better idea of like, well, what's more? There's more to these than just this really surface level that Jack and Stan were trying to dig away at. And it's it's tough to just be like, we got a group of outcasts that live with a bald guy. I mean, come on, what more do you want? And they thought that that was groundbreaking when it really just took that extra step needed to just come and fucking crush it. Because really, after Giant Size X-Men, I mean, the X-Men just continue to blow up and characters just... You start getting offshoots of X-Men for everything. X-Factor, X-Forces, Uncanny, New Mutants. I mean, those are comics that were taking place in the 80s, you know, 70s, 80s, when that boom was coming back. Well, you're going to see, you know, yeah, Uncanny X-Men that's going to show up pretty soon here you're gonna see dark phoenix you know the, yeah these, these stories are gonna show up once we get deeper down this countdown guys because we're we haven't even cracked the top 50 no yet, and, and that's there's definitely gonna be deeper stories i think that unfortunately as historically important jack and stanley were i think like i said they laid down really good groundwork for things and it was those people who had an excessive amount of time as children to read these books and use like a childlike curiosity to like think about really dumb things that when you read it in a page you're like that's so interesting i didn't even know wolverine and cyclops don't like each other yeah and you're like yeah i would think they wouldn't like each other because they fucking both like gene gray and it's like taking those things into consideration you're just like Oh, you get a deeper sense of who all these characters are. It's a, it's a soap opera. It, it really is. It really and I like that though because you understand like these archetypes of characters. So when they do things that are different or outlandish, it's almost like everyone knows Cyclops is a dick. Even just <laughs> in popular culture, you don't have to explain it. It's like, yeah, you just know what that person's like, and it's crazy that their personalities are so well defined that everyone almost gets it right it's like saying batman's moody and stoic you're like yeah we know that because that's how he's like always been oh and i'm remembering too in this book that like i feel like at one point they're very like derogatory towards gene gray marvel girl like just that like and you see that too with like sue storm and the fantastic four there's just a lot of misogyny in those early 60s comics which is like it's weird because they like have those characters in but they uh, they almost use them as like a foil to be like yeah, we're just gonna make jokes about cooking with you. You're what? You're here for the character for that? Oh no, it's it's bad. Like if you guys ever read any of some of these these '60s, it's it's something else. But. And you write those letters to Stanley, and you tell him that he's a dick. Um, but yeah, that is gonna be our list for today. So 
coming at you next week. We have 52 through, let's say what, 41? Sounds like a plan to me. Um, we have a couple big heaters coming up here. So make sure you stay tuned. As always, thank you for listening with us. Uh, go ahead and follow Threads and Dreads on Instagram. Um, make sure you're checking us out on Spotify, Podbean. We're trying to get up on Apple, uh, iTunes as well. So we're doing the damn thing. Keep listening. Also, we're looking for a name for the show. I'm going to post an Instagram picture. Comment below if you got a name, idea, or suggestion. That's going to be it for today. I'm Pat, here with Sean. Thanks for uh, listening. Later.